Okay, let's see. Chad, alcoholic, sober since April the 2nd of 2003. Uh, my home group is the primary purpose group online. Uh, we meet on Wednesday nights at 8.30 Eastern time. And uh, we're a very slow, very thorough study of the big book. And it's pretty cool because now that we're online, we have people from, uh, from all over the world. And it's almost like putting on a big book workshop every Wednesday night. We have some people that do a lot of these workshops that are sharing in that, that meeting. And, and we, what we do there that's a little bit different than, uh, than other book studies is we try to leave our experience out of what we're talking about as much as possible and really just focus our, our discussion on the text. So it's not like a typical home group where we really get intimate with each other. It's more like a, actually trying to learn the book better. So if you're into this kind of thing, you might be into that. I, I'd recommend you check it out. Now, I do have to tell you, though, right now we're in the chapter to wives. And um, if you love that chapter, that's great. Rock on. If you don't love it, don't worry. I'm not judging you. But I just want to let you know that's where we are right now. Um, I tried to bring to a group conscience, maybe throw a chapter or two out of that. But uh, my sponsor told me I couldn't do that. Um, let's see, home group. Uh, the, the Zoom ID for that is 630-577-473. That's actually for people listening on the recording. If you really want the information, just send, send me an email or ask me and I'll give it to you. But uh, we don't have a password. The Zoom ID is 630-577-473. Okay. Um, Rachel, thank you for asking me to do this. This is uh, it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of work that goes into this, and, and Mary and I have the fun jobs. You know, I mean, there's no one I would rather listen to talk than myself. <laughs> Just to be transparent. There's a couple people, yeah, but I'm like in the top five. I mean, I agree with like everything I say. It's pretty cool. There's like nobody else that, that qualifies with that. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into this, and I want to thank you guys for coming, and thank you. Thank you for being enthusiastic about the big book. I love you people for being enthusiastic and wanting to learn this book. You know, what better service can we provide to this world when you take the experience that we have as alcoholics and that unique ability to identify with an alcoholic who can't quit drinking and then combine that with the knowledge that we can gain through studying this book and learning how to more effectively do that and then taking that out and helping people I mean, if you can help one alcoholic quit drinking, you've improved the lives of about 25 people. I totally pulled the 25 number out of thin air. But you, get, you, you see what, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, we really have the opportunity to make a, a big difference in this world that not a lot of people have. You know, so thank you for what you're doing and really making this world a better place. And that's what I hope people can get out of something like this. When I go to one of these, what I'm hoping to get out of it is I want a better understanding of how to practice these principles in my own personal recovery and how to grow spiritually. That's one thing. Another thing I want to be able to do is more effectively carry this message because we do get better at it. We absolutely do. You know, if I'm sponsoring you today versus sponsoring you 20 years ago, I haven't been sober 20, almost 20 years. Let's say sponsoring you 18 years ago. You're going to get a better sponsor today. You know, you are. You may not get as much time, but you're going to get to. And why is that? It's because of more experience. Just been doing it more. That's all. You know? So, so I want to learn how to do this stuff more effectively, and I want to learn how to carry this message more effectively. You know, and, and we, my sponsor, I love it, he calls it a ripple effect. 
So if everybody in here takes what they learn in here and goes out and uses this to more effectively help some more people, and then they use it to more effectively help more people, that's that ripple effect. And this thing grows exponentially, and that's really cool. And then the last thing that I get out of these, and I hope you guys can get out of this, and I, I'm already getting it. Listen to Mary, I'm already getting it. Being around you guys, I'm already getting it. I need to be inspired on a regular basis to get off my butt and do this stuff. You know, and hopefully we can walk away from here going, oh, yeah, I love AA. You know, and hopefully there's a couple people in here who are like, I really didn't want to be here. And I'm really kind of burnt out on this or, you know, and, and you walk out of here going, oh, wow, I'm, I'm ready to get back into it. You know, and that's that's really what I hope for. Um, Otto, thanks for, for, for hosting me. Uh, it's kind of cool. You know, we're in the, this, the, the post-pandemic era. Uh, I've been sponsoring Otto for a year or two. I don't know, for a little while. And uh, today's the first day we met in person. And I was the biggest skeptic. You know, they, they said that, that uh, we were going to start my home group online. And uh, we started talking about sponsoring people from a distance because there are people that were coming on to the, to the group that, that there was no one in their area that knew the big book, you know, and we're trying to, so we're sponsoring on Zoom and, and, and by phone and, do, and I, was, I was the first one to say, that's not going to work. You've got to look these people in the eye. Well, I'll be damned. God works with technology too. Who knew? You know, and it's really amazing the stuff that's, that's gone on since then. And to say that my home group is, is an online group is, is something I, I would have never guessed would happen, you know, but, but that's been a really cool thing to be a part of. And we had about 200 people coming to the, to the meeting in person before, the, before COVID hit. And then a couple members called me and said, we want to start a meeting online since the church is shut down. I was like, cool, start it. I don't care. Well, we want you to, to facilitate the meeting. I was like, oh, fine, you know, figuring it'll be a couple weeks and we'll be back in action, you know. Fast forward a few months and now we, we've got 600 people coming to the online meeting and about 100 of them are locals. And then they open the church back up and we're like, good, we get to go back in person. And like 500 people are saying, no, you don't. <laughs> You know, and that number's gone down a little bit now because people have gone back in person so much, but we're still getting two or 300 people from all over the world. We have people staying up till four o'clock in the morning to be a part of that book study. You know, how cool is that? Or maybe they're getting up at four. I don't know. You know, and it's funny that when they share, they'll say, good morning. It's like, it's not morning. It is where we are, you know. So this stuff's really cool, but what I'm going to talk to you, oh, before I get started, Mary mentioned it, I want to say it again. One of the coolest things about this is, is to answer your questions, because I'm doing this, and I'm assuming you know this, and this, and whatever, and you're, I, you guys have questions, and I don't know what they are. I want you to write them down, and we're going to put a basket up here tomorrow. We're going to have a little basket with little sheets of paper. You can write them down and out on your own paper, and, uh, and, and put them in that basket, and then we'll either, after breaks, we'll answer some questions, or we'll do it all at the end, or something like that, and we'll get to some of these questions. So, so during breaks, when, or whenever you're sitting there, and something comes to mind, jot that down, and, and, and we'll get to that. That's a lot of fun. Okay, I, I love the way Mary put it. If I, if I say something that can't be reconciled in this book, well, you're welcome to throw it out, and as a matter of fact, if I say something that can be, you can throw it out too. I don't care whatever you want to do. But, but what I'm giving you, I have some experience with this book. I sponsored a lot of guys and uh, I've done a lot of this work myself. I don't know how many nightly reviews I've written, you know, one after another. I don't know how many times I've sat in, in, in prayer and meditation, but it's a lot, and I've been doing this for a while, and I'm going to give you my experience based on following the instructions in this book, and it may not be the same as yours, and if, if what I say up here is not the same as what you do, 
It doesn't make me wrong and it doesn't make you wrong, right? There could be two people that work out of this book that do it very differently. And Mary and I just met. We may say things that, you know, contradict each other. That's okay. That's okay. As long as we're focused on doing what this book says to the best of our abilities, we're not going to be messing anybody up. You know, we're going to be helping a lot of people. Okay. So I'm going to tell just a little bit of my story. And before we get going to, I know I have something to tell time here. Okay. Hope nobody calls me. It'll be embarrassing. Are we off? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're good. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell just a short little bit of my story and then move into the third step. And, um, let's see what I want to tell you. I grew up in a small town in Southeast Oklahoma, um, Actually, it didn't seem like a small town to me. We were surrounded by the small towns. We had traffic lights. We had three of them. And we had a Walmart. So we were like the big town where the folks from the small towns came. And, uh, and, and that's where I grew up. And I grew up in a family that was very loving, but what today would be called dysfunctional, right? Um, there was a lot of divorce. It's, uh, to tell you how many brothers and sisters I have is a difficult question. You know, do we count this one? Or that I was telling a story about uh, one time that, that my sister's brother had died in a car wreck and somebody said, your sister's brother? Isn't that your brother? It's like, well, it's my adopted stepsister's half-brother. So, so, you know, I got some of that going on in the family. There was a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, a lot of chaos. But, I, I mean, I was loved, you know. But, but what I was is a budding alcoholic. And I had... There it is. Oh, no, it's not. I lost my water. I need more water. I'm sorry. That, maybe that's it. I don't know. I could drink it anyway. I picked up waters. I don't know who they belong to and drank them. Thank you. Um, I was a budding alcoholic, and what I mean by that at that time, I was, surely wasn't drinking, you know, I was pretty young, but what was happening to me is I was getting uncomfortable, and it didn't all happen at once, and I dropped the lid, it didn't all happen at once, but, but I started to get, uh, I started to sense that I wasn't good enough, I didn't fit in, I didn't belong, I was all alone out here, I wished I was different, anybody relate to that? Yeah. And it just kind of got worse and worse as the days went by. But, but again, I didn't know that made me any different. I wasn't sure if anyone else was experiencing that or not. But, but I felt like if I could just be like this or like that or whatever, then I'd be okay. And, uh, and it just it got to where my mind was really working on me. It was going 100 miles an hour a lot of the time, and it was talking to me very negatively. And, and today, sometimes, I, it didn't go away, by the way, when I got in AA. It's, it's, still, it's still around. I don't listen to it as much today. But, but I think of it almost like, a, like someone that I really trust and rely on following me around saying, God, I wish you were more like this. Or, you know, nobody here really likes you. They're just acting like it. Um, you know, just saying those kind of things, and I was very used to it. And then uh, the miracle happened to me that happened to all of you. I drank. And when I drank, all I knew at the time is, well, I can tell you this, I felt kind of bad about it because I was come from a family of alcoholism and I really had intended to not drink. But I finally did one time because I wanted to fit in and it was great. It was so much fun. But what I understand today is it's not that drinking itself is much fun. You're actually just poisoning yourself. Here's what's fun. Getting out of here. That's fun because life is fun. Life is really awesome. What makes life difficult is 
My head's constantly telling me it's not going the way I think it's supposed to go. But when I drink, I get free of that. And when I'm free of my mind and I'm living in this present moment and experiencing as it experiencing it as it is and experiencing you as you are, you're great and life is great. And that's what alcohol did for me. I mean, it's very much like a spiritual experience. Certainly more than anything else I'd ever experienced. I mean, church didn't give me that. I thought that's where you had spiritual experiences. Church just made me more in my head. You know, so alcohol gave me a great gift. But here's what's interesting. That's not what makes me alcoholic. Because guess what? Teenagers all over the world feel bad, and then they drink, and then they feel good. And see, you'll hear this story from one podium after another if you listen to AA speakers. I didn't like the way I was like, they'll say things like, I felt like I got off the spaceship on the wrong planet or I didn't get the instruction manual or whatever. You'll hear that from one AA podium after another. And we're all nodding our heads going, me too. Well, guess what? A lot of non-alcoholics felt the same way. So if that's not what makes me alcoholic, what is that? You can't see it. I'm sorry, Mary. No one can see you. We followed it well, though, right? I, I knew everything you were writing, and you did a great job. You know, just the markers did not hold up. They didn't do their job. But, but this is what makes me alcoholic. See, a lot of people feel better when they drink, but they don't have that physical allergy. They go to happy hour and then go home and eat spaghetti with the family. Or if their drinking gets out of hand and moderating is not going to work and they need to stop altogether, they can do it. But not me. I'm unable to stop. I'm not just powerless over alcohol once I put it into my system. I'm powerless over the first drink. And that's what gives me this hopeless condition. It's a hopeless condition that I have. I am guaranteed to pick up that first drink eventually. Eventually might mean a month from now, a year from now, or it might mean like in a couple hours. <laughs> it may not be all that eventually, but it's going to happen. On my own power, I'll pick up the drink. And I'll think when I'm picking it up that I'm choosing to drink. How many of you have said, because you want to take personal responsibility, you've said, I chose to pick up that drink? Because it feels like it. Nobody like held your mouth open and poured it. It feels like you choose to. But what I found out, thanks to people like Mary and people like you explaining this to me, is that I never had a choice in the first place. It was just a matter of time. How long can you hold your breath, Chad? I can hold my breath for a little while, you know. And just don't drink works right up until I drink, you know. And that's the real alcoholic. And I love the way she put that. That's great. Yeah. Hmm. So my story is... Um, uh, I don't want me to talk about this one. I don't have time for it. But I can tell you this. What ha things like this happen for me sometimes. I'd leave the house for 20 minutes. Right? I'll be back in two. I love you, babe. I'll be back in 20 minutes. And, and lie detector, right? You can put a lie detector, Chad. You swear to God you're coming back in 20 Yes, I swear to God. We're going to come back. I'm, I'm bringing tacos. We're going to come back and finish the movie. It's all good. <laughs> Go to bed early. We got to get up early in the morning. I'm there. I'm 20 minutes, man. I'm set the timer. I'll be back. I'd get distracted somewhere out there. And I would just take one drink. And then I'd show up two weeks later. And it's not like I'm coming home in two weeks. It's like I get caught sneaking my golf clubs out of the garage at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. 
That happened all the time until I didn't have a home to go back to anymore. I had a bad wreck a few years before I got sober and uh, broke a lot of things and spent a month in the hospital and I got out. Um, that whole big dysfunctional family that I had completely shoved out of my life because I couldn't drink the way I wanted to and still have a relationship with them and I had got, I had avoided them and got them out of my, they all showed up. They showed up. They had a month to show up. I was in the hospital for a month. They, they showed up and I mean, it, you know, it's crazy. Like at one point, my dad's sitting there with me with two of his ex-wives <laughs> and his wife. You know, that's my family, you know. My dad's a good man, you know, but just a crazy family. They showed up, and I looked them all in the eye, man. I told them, I'm done with this. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to quit drinking, quit partying, fulfill my potential. I meant it, man. We had tears in our eyes, you know. I didn't cry. I had tears. I meant it with every, I mean, it was heartfelt. I'm telling you the truth. I'm done with this. And that was just the beginning of me quitting alcohol. I quit many, many, many times. It seems like there at the end, I was quitting daily. I was done with alcohol daily. And I drink before the I drink before the sun was in the middle of the sky. I mean, you know, it was it was just it was completely hopeless. You know. They did an intervention on me. Check this out. Um, oh, by the way, when I got out of the hospital, uh I'd been in there for a month. I was on a walker. I had my jaws were wired shut. I was, I was talking like this because my jaws were wired shut. I lasted two days. Two days and I was out all night on a walker with my jaws wired shut. When I say all night, I mean like the whole night. You know, all night drinking and partying. My wife left, took the kid, and, uh, for, and I was homeless for a while after that and, uh, and drinking all the time. And I was on crutches for six months. And the, the, the going to the doctor didn't fit into my lifestyle, so the, the wires, I cut them out myself. <laughs> little pliers, used a little set of pliers, and it was rough. Yeah. You got to be proud of something, you know. They did an intervention on me. My mom became a, a really good member of Al-Anon, but, but she got things done, man, and she organized this intervention. And she tricked me. You know, she told me I was getting a paycheck. I need to show up here because there was a paycheck for me. <laughs> I hadn't had a job in a long time, but, but I really needed money. And just in case, by some chance, there was a mistake somewhere, and there was a I had to get it, you know, so I show up, and there's a people, there's a, here's all these family and friends sitting in a circle. And um, if any of you have ever been a part of an intervention, it's, it's hard to do, man. It's very uncomfortable, very inconvenient. There's a lot of fear involved, a lot of resentment involved. And these people showed up for me because they love me. And my first thought when I walked in that room was, how could they do this to me? That's the kind of self-centeredness I'm going to talk about tonight. And guess what? Taking away the alcohol does not remove it. It's still there. I just don't act on it quite as much as I used to. They did this intervention. They sent me off to a treatment center. I agreed to go. Actually, they tried to. They did it on my brother first. They had a bed for my brother in treatment. Just to give you an idea again of this family, uh, the five, I mean, the six of us that I grew up with most of my childhood, five of us either have been or currently are members of 12-step fellowships. Five out of six, that ain't bad, you know. The other one, I mean, he, we, he, could, he could fit in one too, but um, 
they had a bed for my brother in a treatment center and they did an intervention and he walked out and they're like, well, we still got the bed. I mean, we could try Chad, what the hell? <laughs> what they didn't know though, was that because I was so near the bottom, I was more willing than my brother was, right? We know that in here. You know, it talks about it in the book. Oh, that's all to the good. And the family's going, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So I go to this treatment center and it's, we have great treatment centers down around Austin, man. Some really good ones where people are really immersed in the 12 step process and the big book. Mine wasn't like that. But, but what they did do is they gave me a big book and took me to meetings. They told me when I was in there, I was in there for 28 days. They told me to, uh, to go to 90 meetings in 90 days when I got out. Right? That's what they, that's all I remember. They probably told me lots of stuff, but I don't remember any of it. But they told me that, and I really didn't want to drink again. I was really, really, really done drinking. I was tired of quitting and starting and quitting and starting and all the consequences that came with it. So I, man, I went to way more than 90 meetings. I did my 90 and 90 a few times, you know, and I immersed myself in this fellowship. I, um, I showed up early, I stayed late, I chaired meetings, I cleaned out ashtrays, I set up the chairs, man, I'd meet with people. Everybody in my life was in AA. I worked for a guy in AA, my coworkers were in AA, I hung out, That's, it's my, I did all the fundraisers because the groups I went to couldn't afford rent because nobody had a job, so we're always out trying to raise money, you know, it was just crazy. But I wasn't working the steps and I didn't have a sponsor. But I was staying sober and I was staying crazy. And it was, it was, it lasted a little while. And I can tell you this, we're going to talk a lot about the mechanics of the program this weekend, but if you know the mechanics and you're not putting your heart and soul into it, the mechanics won't get the job done. It takes both. And I can tell you, I was putting my heart and soul into being a member of AA, a front row, front and center member of AA. And, uh, and I was, I, I made it almost a year. And then I was about ready to quit because you people were bugging me. You always talk about the same stuff. And the people that I want to hear share don't. And the people I don't want to hear do. And people keep drinking and coming and going. And I'm doing all the work around here. Nobody's helping. And I've been sober for a while anyway. What do we, we hold hands and pray and talk about our problems. This is ridiculous. I'm ready to go. And then I met a guy and he was from out of town. He'd been sober a long time, but I was going to help him out, you know, because he was new in the area. And we talked for a couple minutes on the steps outside the meeting one night. And that couple minutes turned into a couple hours. And he, I didn't know what he was doing at the time because I didn't know this book at all. But he was 12-stepping me. And he, it was a very disturbing conversation that I could not walk away from. And he helped me to realize something very disturbing. And it was that my sobriety was not guaranteed. As a matter of fact, I was heading in the direction of another drink. And it was probably coming pretty quick. And I realized in that conversation that my thinking was driving me out of AA, the thing that had saved my life. And I was going right along with it, with no questions. And I realized then that I couldn't trust my own best thinking. And after that disturbing conversation, when I'm sitting there thinking, oh no, I'm stuck here forever. And I'm probably not going to stay to tell you the truth. And I'm probably going to drink again. And what's this going to look like? And like, what was I going to do anyway? AA's all I did, you know? And then here's what he said to me. 
He said, Chad, do you know what you need? It's like, no, Dave, what do I need? And he said, you need a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. It's like, I know that line. I, can't, I, have, I have the How It Works card memorized. I'm a faithful hunger member. All, all the really good members have it memorized, you know. I, I don't have it memorized for nothing anymore. Hmm. So we got into the steps, and he saved my life. I thought he saved my life, you know. I gave him all the credit. Um, got busy. Now, to get through this quickly, I want to fast forward a few years. I moved down to Austin, Texas, and I get involved in Primary Purpose Group. I meet Charlie and Katie and, um, and Mark Houston. You know, if, any, if, if you hear nothing else from me, hear this. Listen to some Mark Houston. Find it. Listen to it. Wow. Just, you know, blew me away. I actually got to sit at Charlie's table with Mark uh, for every Thursday night for a year or two and, and uh, listen to him blow the top off my head, you know, with the stuff he would talk about. And, um, and I learned some things. We, we, we really got into this book in a way that I had never been into this book. And I, and I really, I got a very clear understanding and a very clear ability to explain what Mary explained, you know, to help someone understand what's wrong with them. That's a gift. It doesn't seem like that much of a gift, but it's a huge gift. You can help a lot of people just by helping them understand what's wrong with them. And if they're nodding their heads, that's because they're putting their experience up against what you're saying and they're going, oh my God, I have what you're talking about and I understand it better now than I ever have. And that's a gift to be able to do that. I also learned how to really get into these disciplines of steps 10 and 11. Mark was always talking about the disciplines and the strict disciplines and it's like if you say disciplines one more time. And he would get into this at a, at a way where it's almost like I'm looking over at Charlie. I'm going, are you getting this? I, here's something else I learned. and uh, I'll talk about this more tomorrow. But like you're actually supposed to make all your amends. You know, I was amazed before I was halfway through. And uh, kind of put that list to the side. And Mark would say the two most important words in the eighth step are all and all. Like, come on. Well, you know, if they're going to hurt somebody, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But. but something else I learned was to go out and get some sponsees and actively carry this message. It was my responsibility. I was not to wait for them to come find me. I was to go get them because I was missing out on the gift. And I was missing out on really the only thing that guaranteed my sobriety. But one of the really big things that I learned was a whole new understanding of the third step. Where I had come from, the third step worked like this. First step was, yes, I'm alcoholic. Second step was, okay, I'll, I'll believe in God if you tell me I have to. Third step, let's say the prayer and start your fourth step. Well, that's cool, except I was missing some really important stuff that's laid out on pages 60, 61, and 62 in the big book. And if I say 60, 61, and 62, and you're sitting there going, I could give you those pages off memory, great. If you're wondering what's on those pages, there's a big experience ahead for you. There really is, because those pages lay out the root of my troubles. Why do I struggle in sobriety? Is there anyone here who... Um, got sober and you have still struggled even though you're not drinking anymore anybody here okay all right good i just want to make sure i'm in the right room 
Is there anyone here who doesn't raise your hand no matter what I say? Ah, that's my people right there. <laughs> Raising my hand, who does he think he is? This tells me why I struggle in sobriety. Because the alcohol does not take away the self-will. So we're going to look at these pages a little bit. And, um, and, and I can tell you this, if you're new in here, just, just, let's just let's do the raise hand thing one more time here. Is there anybody in here who's say in your first couple years and you're on fire for this deal and you're loving it, you're fired up? Okay, great, great. I love you guys. Yeah, yeah. I do want to tell you though, um, life's going to hit. And um, one of these days, you're not going to wake up every morning thrilled to death that you're not thinking about drinking. How long does that last? How long do we wake up every day thrilled that we don't have the obsession to drink? A year or two, maybe? It lasted a while for me. I remember waking up in the morning going, yes. I'm sober and like, I'm cool with it. That is awesome. Yeah. 19 years later, I don't wake up that way anymore. I wake up now going, damn, how am I going to get this done? Or wow, why did I do that? You know? Yeah. So, so life hits. And so there are so many of us that are so fired up. And I want to tell you this. There's good reason why I'm telling you this. I promise. This is going to get difficult. There's going to come a day when you don't want to do what this book says. And you don't think it's working anyway because this problem won't go away. And I'm going to call my sponsor about it one more freaking time. I know what he's going to say. And I'm going to put it on my review again. What Can I just copy last night's and make it tonight's? Really? I'm going to write another piece of inventory? I'm going to make amends to her one more time because I did the same thing I did last week and the week before and the week before. You know, is this stuff even working? I got a sponsee that called me. He's like, I'm sick of God. Like, I'm doing the work and it ain't working. I'm mad at God. I was like, we're going to call that self-pity. <laughs> he says, I'd rather be mad at God. Well, I know, I get it. Okay, that's coming. If it hasn't already happened to you. If it's happening to you right now, welcome. You're in the right room. Because we have struggles in sobriety that just won't go away. Because here's what happens. When we take this third step, we offer to God, bring it up, God. Bring the stuff up. Put somebody in my life that's going to bring up the stuff. And then it's going to get real hard and real uncomfortable and real scary. And I'm not going to want to do what this book says. And how do you get long-term sobriety? You just keep doing it. When you don't think it's working, you keep doing it. When you don't want to do it, you keep doing it. When it just all seems pointless, you just keep doing it. I, I, when I went back to school when I was about 30 and got my degree, and one of my uh, uh, instructors had his PhD, and he was about the same age as me, and we were talking one time, and I said, well, you know, you got to be pretty smart. He goes, I'm not smart. I was like, you have your PhD, bro. And he goes, you don't have to be smart to get your PhD. You have to be too dumb to quit. <laughs> Welcome to long-term sobriety. You just got to be too dumb to quit, you know? Just keep doing it. Yeah, because that day is going to come when you don't want to do this and you just got to keep doing it because guess what? The fire is going to come back again, I promise. But I can tell you most likely it's not always going to be there. But it will come back and it'll go away again and it'll come back, you know? 
but we do have struggles in sobriety, and that's what I want to talk about in the third step. So it says here on the middle of page 60, it gives these three pertinent ideas with this A, B, and C. We were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. Probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, and God could and would if he were sought. Yeah, and then Bill said in the original manuscript, if you're not convinced of these three vital issues, you ought to reread the book to this point or else throw it away. Isn't that cool? Bill's like, look, if you don't get steps one and two, we ain't going no further. You need to understand this stuff. You need to understand what it is that's wrong with you and what kind of solution we have to offer. There is not a spiritual side to AA. AA is spiritual, period. There is not a spiritual... A 12-step program is a spiritual program. Does that make sense? There's not a spiritual side to this. It is spiritual. Okay. If you don't get that, then we don't need to move on. You know, we need to understand that. And if you have a problem with that, welcome to AA. Half of us have a problem with that. And if you have a step two problem that keeps you from moving on with the rest of the steps, I don't want to make anybody mad, but that ain't a step two problem. It's a step one problem. Because if I'm convinced I'm a hopeless case and I got a problem with God, I'll move through it. I mean, I have a problem with all kinds of things in AA. Like not drinking. I have a problem with that, but I'll move through it, you know, because I'm convinced that I'm a hopeless alcoholic. So then being convinced, being convinced of steps one and two, now I'm at step three, which is that I do this weird thing. I'm going to turn my will and my life over to God. It says, what do we mean by that and what do we do? Not only do I not know what we mean by that, I don't even get the concept. What do you mean turn... Turn it over to God. I used to hear that in meetings. Just turn it over, Chad. Just let go and let God. And like about the 10th time I heard it, I wanted to bang my head on something. Like, what are you people talking about? This makes no sense. Can you give me God's address? And somehow I'll put my problem in a box and I'm going to deliver it. God, here's my problem. What does that mean? I don't know. And so... We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then it says, what do we do? And they give us a set of steps. I love that about AA. I love that, man. They don't just leave you hanging. You need to have a spiritual experience. That's what kind of what Carl Jung said to Roland Hazard. You need a spiritual experience. And man, I can do it with some people. With guys like you, I don't know how to do it, man. Good luck. Yeah, AA says, well, guess what, man? We got some steps laid out for you. And whether you believe in this power or not, you're just willing to believe enough to do what we ask you to do, you're going to have an experience with a God that you may or may not believe in. We didn't care if you believe in it. You're going to have an experience if you do what we do. And then we'll see what you believe. Yeah. Okay, so now here's something else here. The first requirement is that I be convinced that that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I'm not convinced of that. Never even really considered it. Okay, I'll tell you what. I am convinced of this. My life, the way it's been going, is a failure, right? But any life run on self-will can hardly be... If I won the lottery, you're telling me my life run on self-will wouldn't be a success? Come on. So what Bill's going to try to do here in the next couple pages in this beautiful piece of literature right here is he's going to help me understand how my life or any life run on... Because my life was easy. That's an easy one. But any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. 
So he goes on to say on this basis, and Bill likes this word basis, basic, basically, you'll see it a few times throughout here, and we looked it up. The basis is the foundation or fundamental principle behind something, right? So what basis are we talking about here on this basis? The basis of self-will, my basis, the way I live. I'm almost always in collision with something or somebody. Now, anytime I'm going through this with a newcomer, when I say collision, they perk up, like, oh yeah, I'm in collision. I, I'm not 100% sure what that means, but, I, but it's hitting me like right here. Like I'm definitely in collision. And with something or somebody, pretty much all the time, things are not going my way and I'm having problems, right? Even though my motives are good. No, they're not. We're going to find out that on the next page. But you think they're good. I get it. I mean, I think mine are good too. I'm just trying to help. That's all. Says here that, that most people try to live by self propulsion, and each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. So, right here, what it's telling me is that we're not just talking about alcoholics, we're talking about everybody. That's why so many people throughout the world are trying to grow spiritually because of this stuff. Because they've been trying to live by self-propulsion and it's not working, so they're seeking something better. That's why every bookstore you go into has a huge spiritual, religious, and self-help sections because people want help, man. People are suffering. That's why these things suck me in. It's like a vortex. Because it's, it's addictive, man. It gets me out of the world because I'm in collision and I'm uncomfortable. Now i got to swipe through something, right? That's why we have so many problems with so many things, food and sex and pornography and gambling. There's like hundreds of 12-step of, of programs. I don't know, hundreds maybe. I heard there was 200. I don't know. I can't name 200. Name like 10. I don't know. Lots of people have struggles, and this is what it's about. Now, we're going to distinguish the alcoholic from all these other people in a minute. Wait on that. So each person's like an actor trying to run the whole show. The thing is, the actor's just an actor, not a director. Like, like, here's the deal. Life happens, but I think I know a better way. This universe has been around, according to science today, for about 14 billion years. 14 billion years. I'm 48, and I think I know better. For real. I think I know the way it ought to be. I'm pretty clear on that. I really, there's a part of me that really says, if you put me in charge, it'll be better for, for all of us, mainly for me, but for all of us. <laughs> I mean, what's happening right now, there have been 14 billion years worth of events that have all worked out the way they did to lead to this moment, and I think I know better. Are you catching, are you catching this? That is bizarre that I would think something like that. But I do. I do. Welcome to the alcoholic ego. If all it says, if these arrangements were... So here's, here's the deal. I'm trying to arrange life to suit me. So what, what has happened is I have, I have reached a point in my life where I don't have a relationship with life or I have a very sick relationship with life. What I really have a relationship with is how I think life should be because that's what I spend all my time thinking about. How much time do I spend thinking about how I can help you? Yeah, a little bit. On a good day, maybe a little more. But most of my thoughts are based on how it ought to be and how I can convince someone how they should be, right? I'm constantly thinking. You, anybody in here have arguments with people that aren't there? I mean, not out loud, but in, my, in your head. Do you present your case often to people who aren't there? 
you see something, I'll see something, and I'll go, oh, yeah, see, I could use this to prove this person wrong. I am never going to do that, but I have that thought, you know, rolls through my head. My, my mind's created this story, right? My ego's constantly looking for evidence to support that story. It's not my mind's fault. I just gave it a really tough job. Somewhere along the way, I said, okay, mind, I don't like the way life is going, and I'm going to need you to fix it. So figure it out. And since then, my mind's been working overtime, trying to figure it out. And that's not its job. My mind's a problem solver. It solves problems, and it does a good job at it. My hands, I can do things with my hands. My mind, it solves problems. It's a tool. It's a great tool. But I put it way too high on the, uh, on the scale of who's in charge. As a matter of fact, up at this, until this point, my thinking mind is the highest level of consciousness I've reached. I mean, you know, I know we're in AA, but I mean, I tripped some acid, and I got beyond that once or twice, but... But for the most part, my thinking mind is as, as, as the highest level of consciousness. It's reality, right? It's actually very real. And in order for my mind to solve problems, there's got to be a problem. So my mind looks for problems and finds problems in everything and then constantly thinks about how to solve those problems. It's exhausting. Hmm. Okay, so... In this process, what my mind's trying to do is arrange the show. It's trying to arrange everything to go the way that I think it should go. And because of that, I cannot have that healthy relationship with God's world as it is. I can't have it. Now, somewhere down the road, and you've experienced this if you've been doing this a while, you've had to see if you can relate to this. Sometimes I get into a state where there's nothing wrong. Nothing's changed, but there's nothing wrong. Everything's fine. Right? Now, what's happening for me in those times, I, I, read, I read a lot of stuff on the law of attraction. Like I was reading all the like Emmett Fox stuff kind of led me into that. And I started reading Abraham Hicks and all this stuff. On the, and there's all this think positively stuff and change the way you think and think. That, and I was trying, man. I was really, really trying. Don't think about the problem. Think about the solution and think about God and think about who. And what I found out was very disturbing. What I found out is that I rarely think positively. I most often think negatively, but I'm not always unhappy. But what I found is that in those times when I am happy and I'm at peace, it's not because I'm thinking positively. It's because I'm not thinking that much. My mind's just getting a break and I'm here experiencing what's in front of me. And that's true peace and happiness. So with this self-will thing, what happens is this mind, my mind gets going and it's in these problems and trying to solve these problems and get things to go my way and I can't experience this moment. Anybody in here have a bad memory? We were just talking about this. Anybody have a bad memory? Anybody ever been told about a conversation that you were a part of and you don't remember any of it? Maybe you weren't there. Maybe your body was there and your mind was wondering what they think about you or how to use what you just heard to prove someone else wrong. Maybe it's just my mind that works that way. I hope you're laughing at yourself and not me. So what's, what's going on here, man? I just got it backwards. That's all. I got it backwards. I'm trying to arrange my external circumstances to fix my internal condition backwards. 
what the book is asking me to do, what God's asking me to do, is focus on your internal condition and let your external circumstances handle themselves. Or better yet, let's let God handle them. But I need to get out of the way first because I don't know what's best. The thing that's happening right now that my folk, I'm 100% focused on this thing cannot happen might be the best thing that could ever happen to me. I don't know that because I'm the actor, not the director. There's a director sitting out there going, Chad, I promise you, man, you're going to lose this job and you're going to look back in a few years and you're going to go, God dang, I'm glad I lost that job. But right now, all I can think about is I cannot lose this job. The fight or flight has kicked in and it's a matter of death, life and death. It's a matter of survival. And it's that singular focus. All I can focus on, 95% of my thoughts are on solving this problem. This cannot happen. I've got to make sure this goes my way. What do I got to do? Solve it, mind. Figure it out. And I don't have to do all that. So I'm going to go down here to a line here and um, uh, let's see the middle of page 61. And what it tells me is I'm a victim of the delusion. I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if I just manage well. Okay? I'm going to translate that into my language. Chad, if you just get everything you want, then you'll be happy. Duh. Of course I will be happy if I get what I want, right? And that's what I've been living by my whole life. And like, who doesn't live that way? That's like the most obvious thing in the world. But what they're telling me here is that that's a delusion. That means it's not true, but I believe it, right? Okay. Well, it can go two ways. One way is I don't get what I want and then I can't be happy. That sucks. Because a lot of times I don't get what I want. And the second way it can go is I do get what I want and then I'm happy for about 10 minutes. And then I need something else. Or maybe I need to get rid of what I thought I had to have, you know. Yeah, and that's the way I've been living. And they're telling me there's a different way to live, and I have no idea there's a different way to live. Okay, so i got to fast forward a little bit because we're running short on time, and I don't want anybody to sit longer than, than was promised. It goes on over here on page 62. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Troubles, that means mental agitation, stress, or worry. I have a 1936 Webster's Dictionary. You know why? I don't just want to know what the word means. I want to know what it meant when they wrote the big book. Because some of the words mean different things. If you're into that, I'll give, you, I'll give you some of meditation means something different. Brainstorm means something way different. Excitement means something different. Lots of words. I'll let you handle that on your own. Troubles. The root of my troubles. Selfishness, self-centeredness. What are my troubles? Stress. What causes my stress? Selfishness, self-centeredness. Wait a minute, no, 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 no. Stress is caused by my daughter, man. She's acting up. Stress is caused by what's going on at work. This is ridiculous. They've got to change this policy. Stre no, no, no. Stress is caused by my attempts to get everybody to do things that, the way I think they need to do them. I just need to let go of all that. The problem ain't the problem. The problem is that I have a problem with the problem. Right? It's like my favorite saying in the world. <clears throat> That's what's causing it. My troubles are basically of my own making. My stress is caused by me. 
It's one of the greatest promises in the book. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. I'm driven by fear. I'm not making my own decisions. Fear is. Fear is driving me. No more than my car decides where it's going to go. I drive it. Fear is driving me. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be okay because I don't feel okay because I have that spiritual malady. I don't feel okay and I'm afraid that this is not, I don't want to experience any discomfort. I told my mind a long time ago, arrange life where I don't have to be uncomfortable. And it's very important to me. And I'm afraid that I'm going to experience discomfort. And I'm in delusion that if I can arrange you guys the right way, then I won't have to experience that discomfort. And then I go into self-seeking. It's a cycle. Fear, self-delusion, self-seeking is the actions that I take or the thought process that I have on how we're going to get this done. And then you know what the last part of that is? Fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. Guess what? It didn't work again. It's not fair. Hmm. Yeah. So... Down here in the middle of the page. Why does this even matter? Why is it important? What does this have to do with drinking? I used to get that question when I started 12-stepping a lot of alcoholics. And then I'd start taking them through the steps quickly, right? Quickly. And we get into the third step and they're like, what's this got to do with drinking? I didn't come here because I'm selfish. Why is that all you're talking about? And I started asking that question to some people that were doing work. What does this got to do with drinking? Nothing. And then I realized, here's what it is. I have a hopeless condition called alcoholism. The only solution is a spiritual awakening. But I can't have one. Do you know why I can't have one? Because I'm so buried up in self-will, I'm completely blocked from God consciousness. I'm blocked. I can't have it. The only way that God consciousness can go up is it's not by believing in God. I'm ruffling some feathers. I'm sorry, you can take it up with me later. It's, not by, it's by having an experience with God. By experiencing the flow of God consciousness. And how can I do that when it's blocked? I've got to get free of self-will. I have to surrender. God consciousness is not available without surrender. And that's what this step is talking about. It's surrendering self-will. Surrendering my attempts to run the show. Let's see if Bill thinks it's important. On page 13 and 14 in Bill's story, let's see if that's right. On the bottom of page 13, Bill says, I would enter upon a new, this is what Abby promised him, I would enter upon a new relationship with my Creator and I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. I came in here pretty atheist. I was like, yeah, hello, you know, relationship with my Creator. Okay, you know, if you guys say so. Wait, elements of a way of living which answered all my, all my problems? Do you know how many problems I have? I've got a lot. Okay, I want that. I want the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. Over on the next page, it tells me simple but not easy. A price had to be paid. So what's the price I have to pay for this relationship with my Creator and a way of living that solves all my problems? It meant destruction of self-centeredness. What? Destruction of self-centeredness. That's what I have to have to develop this relationship with God and find a way of living that solves my problems. Okay, on page 62, it says above everything. That means it's really important. Above everything. It says above everything, we alcoholics must quit drinking vodka. <laughs> Are you following along? That's not what it says. But check this out. This one's not that far-fetched. What if it said above everything, we alcoholics must develop a relationship with God? 
Wouldn't that make sense? Above everything? Yeah, but that's not what it says either. It says above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. Above everything? What was your above everything today? Think about that. On this Friday, what was the most important thing in your life today? Were you walking around all day long going, how can I be free of this selfishness? I wasn't. But that's the above everything. And that's a good question. You do that review at night, maybe throw that question in there just for the hell of it. You know, it's on the wrong page, I know. But just throw it in there, just for fun. What was my above everything today? It's a good question to have some awareness on what's going on with us. Yeah, so it's pretty important. So, okay, in the 30 minutes I have left, no, actually, I'm way over. Let me just, for just give me two more minutes on the decision and the commitment, okay? So what happens down here at the bottom of this page is we make a decision that we're going to quit playing God. Come on, man, you had you said playing God, we're going to call it that now? I mean, easy. That's what it is. I'm trying to arrange life the way I think it needs to go. God's had this universe going for 14 billion years according to science, and in my 48, I'm going to tell God how it needs to go. God, here's what you need to do tomorrow. I need to get this, and this needs to go, and then this person needs to, yeah. I'm going to quit that. I'm going to make a decision. I'm done with that. Over on the next page, it says, being all-powerful. I'm going into a deal with God. He provides what I need if I stay close to Him and perform His work well. So here's the deal I'm going into with God. God, I'll, I'll do what it takes to stay close to you, to stay surrendered and stay close to you, and I'll help others. But you're going to need to give me what I need, and it's not always what I want. Right? As a matter of fact, in a lot of cases, it's the opposite of what I want but it turns out to be just what I needed to grow to the next phase of spiritual development. Yeah. Okay, so then on down here, we do this third step prayer and we're making a commitment. Now, I went to therapy for a couple of years. I'm not proud of it. Where I come from, guys don't go to therapy, but I did. I was meeting with this therapist. I met with her in the summer. I was a teacher. I met with her in the summer a couple of times and she said, okay, we've got some work to do. And I'm going to ask you if you'll commit to doing this work. And I said, well, okay, I will, except here's the problem. You are in South Austin. I work north of Austin in Round Rock. I'm a teacher. We're about to start back to school. And you only work like three afternoons a week. And like you're wanting me to come once a week. And like I can't. And she says, Chad, I'm asking you to make a commitment. I was like, no, no, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Like I can't take a day off work every week to come see you. And she says, Chad, I'm not asking you to figure out how you're going to do it. I'm asking you to make a commitment. It's like, okay, I'll commit to it. It worked out. It did, even though I didn't know how it was going to work out, even though I thought it wasn't going to. And that's that third step prayer. We're making a commitment in the third step because it tells me right here that I cannot be rid of self on my own power. God makes that possible. He doesn't do it for me, but He makes it possible. Even though I don't know how, I try to stop being selfish. As a matter of fact, just for a second, try to stop thinking. We can't do it. But God makes that possible. All I've got to do is make a decision and make a commitment. So guys, thanks for having us.